Welcome to the Aussie Racing Edition of the Breakdown Podcast, breaking down the issues in cycling with journalist Jamie Finch-Penninger, specialised writer Kate Perry, and of anti-isoways Neil Vanderplug. Hello and welcome to the Breakdown Podcast. I'm Jamie Finch-Penninger and I'm joined this time by Neil Vanderplug and uh, we'll be doing a separate recording with Kate Perry later. I'll mash them all together and we'll get the... We'll get the final product out to you. So hopefully you won't notice too much of a difference, but there won't be quite the same level of banter as other episodes. Anyway, g'day, Neil. How's it going? Yeah, it's going pretty well. Um, I enjoyed my time at the TDU, and I saw you um, were following along on Twitter, tweeting and clearly watching all the racing. Yeah, I was. I sat here in Albury and uh, got to see it from the comfort of my own home here. So, yeah, it was. it's great that it's a televised event. It was... Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Pretty exciting. Yeah, um, we will do a quick rundown of the TDU, but we're assuming that if you're listening to the podcast, then you, then you've watched, you know, <laughs> the majority of the two down under, or at least know what's gone on. So we'll just pick out bits that um, that interest us rather than doing the exact race recap, whereas which we would do, yep. for, you know, for the normal races because they're a lot harder to watch. Obviously, we'll do that right now and jump on straight in, into the TDU. So it started off with the People's Choice Classic, which um, isn't isn't even a prologue. It's not actually connected to the Tour Down Under, but um, it contains all the same riders. So um, Caleb Ewan um, emerged the victor there. He, he was just so impressive all all week, and that marked the start of his you know domination of the sprints. Really, yeah, absolutely. It was pretty pretty impressive start. He was certainly showing right from the from the People's Choice that he was got some serious uh, speed and uh, yeah, he just, he pretty much smashed all of those sprints. I thought that was pretty, pretty impressive, particularly the last stage in that criterium. Like, man, he, he didn't look like he came from, you know, he certainly didn't come from perfect position or anything like that, but he just had the speed. You could just see like, you know, he could have been, could have been another three wheels back and he still would have won it pretty comfy. So very impressive by Caleb. Yeah. You saw in the team car, um, when when Orica put put up their backstage pass, you saw in the team car Matt Wilson as soon as he, as soon as he heard okay Orica's near the front with less than a k to go, he was like, well okay he's going to win it from there. It was only a question of getting him getting him in that fight. He's got that much speed going, like he's got the luxury of just yeah he just needs to be sort of near the front. I think uh, yeah it's a pretty good thing to have. Have you seen anyone get as low as him? There's a lot of talk in the in the journalists' um, box about. Oh. How how aerodynamic and how how close he gets his head to the front wheel, essentially. Yeah, look, he's he looks pretty aero to me. He's he's obviously a very small type of guy, so I think he's. I reckon he's done a fair bit of work. Like he quite clearly has um, paid a fair bit of attention to it. I know he's been in wind tunnels and that sort of thing, uh, working on his position. And look, he's obviously, yeah, he's obviously worked on it. But then you've also got his just natural sort of uh, small stature, so. He, he gets down as low as he can possibly go and he's already so short. It just, it makes for a very, uh, you know, it looks ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it does. And you wouldn't imagine anyone behind him would be getting much of a, a pull from him either or much of a draft. Nah, that's it. You don't get much shit on his wheel. I've sort of I've raced him a bit and been on his wheel. And yeah, when he gets low like that, like, yeah, one time in uh, Tasmania, he actually sprinted and just went straight past me. And I, I could see his entire back. It was quite funny because he just kind of he just kind of went past, but sort of also underneath. And I remember just thinking, "Holy moly, that's a funny sight!" 
Yeah, well, he's he's not tall to start with. He must be like five four, five five, something like that. And um, yeah, and he's he's got that body type of a body type of sort of like a you know he's just a nugget. He's just got short limbs and they're just super muscly. So look, when he when he sort of bends at the hips and gets his torso down, he's you know he's he's pretty close to the ground, a bit like a race car. He's certainly certainly successful and built for the future. Hopefully, this you know a very long future in of leading Australian hopes overseas. Um, he won three stages here, if you include the People's Choice. He won the first stage and the sixth stage as well. And he looks very impressive. I suppose the next step is whether he can last um, at the longer hillier races because he, he, didn't, he didn't make it to the end of stage, of stage two, which he, he was hoping to. And um, also stage four was, it, was the other one he was, he was looking to do well in. So it, it's, it's a developmental process, but... Definitely something he'll he'll want to con as he grows older and develops that stamina. Okay, moving on to well, we covered stage one, but stage two was um, the famous Sterling stage, and it wasn't quite wasn't quite the the fireworks you normally expect from the Sterling stage, despite it being the five laps. And um, Adam Hansen went out off the front, and they never really let him get too much of a of a gap. And it eventually came down to the last lap, which it often does, but normally is a bit more attacking before time and a bit more thinning down in the peloton. Yeah, I, I sort of noticed that as well, just from uh, looking at the TV coverage. I thought, uh, oh, I could be wrong, but yeah, I'd sort of agree with you there. It did seem like there were more people going into that final lap uh, and even going into the final climb. It didn't look like many people had sort of lost contact before then. So potentially it was. Yeah, a little bit easier than it was in other years, but look, it's difficult to say. Maybe there was just a pretty, pretty even split of the field, but I suspect it was maybe, yeah, not not quite as much pressure on the field um, with just the one strong rider out the front. Like Adam Hansen's obviously a very strong guy, but I think last year, just as a comparison, I think there might have been three riders up the front. Cam Iyer was one of them. So if you've got three guys up the front compared to one, they can probably go a fair amount faster. So, yeah. Probably a little bit less aggressive until the final there. Yeah, but we saw the emergence of Jay McCarthy after Gerens was taken out by an unfortunate crash in the final. And uh, yeah, Jay, he's he's a rider I haven't heard much of in the past two years. He's been over with Tinkoff Saxo and now just Tinkoff. But no, he, he appears to have you know spent his time well over there, and now he looks like he could be built to take on some leadership roles and for the future. Yeah, absolutely. He was. Um... I know when he was going through the uh, the World Tour Academy or, or whatever it was called back then, um, might have been SA.com. But regardless, when he was with that Australian team as an under-23, he, he certainly had a lot of hype and a lot of expectation when he was going through there. Like I remember everyone was just saying, you know, he's just super impressive, fast in the sprint, but also, you know, he's the type of guy who can sort of climb with you know, some really good climbers as well. So people were sort of saying, man, this guy can sort of do it all, a bit like a a Sagan, I suppose. And uh, yeah, it, it didn't seem like he sort of hit the world tour and absolutely smashed it straight away. But I think he's, he's clearly got himself, got himself going really well this summer. He had an awesome nationals as well. So he, he looks like he's in, you know, great shape and he's, uh, well, he's won a stage of TDU. So that's, uh, he's doing great. Yeah. Well, you know, hopefully we see some more of him in the world tour strutting his stuff. Okay. The next stage was, won by Gerens and well in fact the next two stages were won by Gerens in reduced reduced bunch sprints but they were very different I mean the first one over the top of corkscrew it was really reduced with um who was it Michael Woods and 
Sergio Hanel, Hanel going, yeah. Yeah, going away over the top there. And it looked, I mean, it, yeah, you always felt that they were going to be brought back with Richie Port and uh, Rowan Dennis and Guerin's behind. Yeah, nonetheless, it could have been it could have been one of those situations where there was a bit of looking at each other in the break, and allowed to get away. But then the next stage, it was very much a, a reduced bunch rather than that that sort of eight man nine man group going into the finish. And um, Garen's got a superb lead out from Impy, which which took him into the finish there. I mean, shows what a versatile rider he is to be able to take wins in those two separate circumstances. Yeah, look, Garo's really you know he's shown. Just time and time again, that 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 style of uh, stage, just you, he can nail it. And look, I think you, you're, yeah, like you say, um, Daryl Impey, and not just Impey, but like that, the whole Green Edge team. Like I thought they were very impressive throughout their commitment to uh, Caleb and uh, Gero was it was just maximum, and they were just oh, they were just riding superbly as a team. And Gero, he's just bloody good as well. So they've got a great bunch of individuals, and uh, they're really pulling together. So yeah. Very impressive by Garo as well. Yeah, it's very much a cliche on the finish line um, where somebody says when they've just won, oh, yeah, thanks to my team. But in this case, every day it was Michael Hepburn and Luke Durbridge on the front, and you could see Heyman working to bring them, bring his leaders up and down the peloton all the time and bring bottles and what have you. And then, you know, Caleb Ewan even sprinting for sprint points out of the road when um, McCarthy was beating Gerrans in the sprints briefly. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And I think another really good thing, um, having sort of the replays of the the finish in the Victor Harbour stage from the helicopter, you got a really good sense for our positioning is just so important in some of these sprints. They Just having Inby there and just absolutely nailing that position, it actually sort of split at about, you know, fifth wheel going around that final corner at uh, Victor Harbour, that final sort of left-hander. So they just absolutely nailed it. You could see... um, Probably the pre-race favourite for that stage, Giacomo Nazzolo from Trek. He uh, he got dropped on the climb and got back on. And then uh, he was just, uh, yeah, probably lacked a bit of support that uh, someone like Gero had. And he was just caught too far back. So he actually lost the wheel through that corner. Like people dropped it and he had to sort of come from a long way back. And, geez, he was by far the fastest of that group. And he just was coming very quickly and had to go from such a long way out and just and just couldn't do it. So that was, yeah, just goes to show, I guess, um, great example of how positioning and, uh, yeah, how your team can can basically get you the win. Yeah, well, he was certainly very, very grateful on the finish line. I spoke to him afterwards and, um, yeah, he, he, he went and said, um, Impey's essentially one of the most versatile riders around and does a great job for him in finishes like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so on to, on to Wollonga now, and that was... Uh, that was a great, you know, a really enjoyable stage as always. I, I don't think you, you, you're ever too disappointed by the Wollonga stage. And this one was no disappointment either with uh, Richie Port emerging the victor yet again, jumping clear with about a K to go as has become his, as has become the norm with him. And yeah, he held off um, Sergio Hanau and Michael Woods. But also um, Lucas Hamilton showed his colours at the end there, jumped off the front for a bit and... He never really got a massive gap, but, you know, to jump away from a field like that at his age, um, I think he's 19 at the moment, uh, it's, you know, a massive step. And we've all seen a lot from him in the ARS, and I don't think we expected any less from him and his talent. Very impressive. Uh, Not just Lucas Hamilton, but Chris Hamilton as well. Like, Lucas hit it hard uh, from earlier on and really just, you know, took a bit of a chance there and just just went, which I thought was a fantastic move. Uh, Chris Hamilton, uh, yeah, he sort of held 
held back a little bit more and ended up finishing. I'm not sure if he finished in the top yeah. ten, but he was he was in the group of the top ten. So, you know, both of the Hamiltons really impressed there. I thought that was yeah. We've you know everyone's been saying that these guys are both you know very good riders, but they've definitely proven uh, I think to a lot of people, you know, they're not just good. They're uh, their world tour good. They yeah, they're definitely uh, some pretty bright bright prospects for Australia, which is great. Yeah, well, I mean, just just for some comparison with with last season's NRS, um, the Paddy Bevan finished tenth on that stage. Um, Chris Hamilton eleventh, and and Lucas Hamilton faded a touch, you know, after going out going out hard and uh, went fourteenth in the end. So, and when <laughs> still you, when pretty you, damn good. Yeah, and when you and when you look at the rest of the names in the top te- top ten, there you've got you know Domin- Domenico Pozzovivo, Gerens, um, Raphael Viles, You know, they're all World Tour winners from last year. And you know all top top class bike riders. Yeah, what what did you take away from the race? Um, was it that um, Garens is in just such good form, or more that the race was was run very well to suit them by Green Edge and and also by his natural talent, so he can get over those hills and sprint and then pick up the time bonuses as well. Look, Garens is is just a super classy bike rider. Um, but I thought not just that that you know the Green Edge team was also just probably the most impressive as well. Caleb is, you know, I think he's really sort of starting to uh, get some confidence at that world tour level. Like he definitely um, stepped up a notch. Um, so they're probably the two biggest things really. Like Green Edge, good. Gerens, good. Caleb, very good. Just, yep. Yeah, that's probably the main thing I got there. And I guess Richie Port as well. He's just you know, done the same thing that he did last year. That was also very impressive. So, and he said he wasn't sort of expecting it uh, this year. So, yeah, I guess, um, actually, I've just thought about it a little bit more there. Um, Australians, it's it was a dominated, it was absolutely dominated by Australians. So, I think it probably one thing to take out is that uh, Australian cycling is pretty healthy at the moment. Yeah, not a bad point. And, you know, with Australia's strongest, um, well, with, the, with Australia's World Tour team, almost you know sweeping the entire race it was yeah it's a pretty good indication of how how well australia is going heading into an olympic year so hopefully we carry that momentum through i suppose that should be yeah and just i've just been thinking a little bit more there like also <laughs> just the age groups we've got guys like matt Heyman and uh and gero who are sort of you know in their 30s sort of thing getting toward a getting to the later years of their career and they're sort of performing extremely well. And then we've got guys, younger guys through sort of that middle age and then the super young guys. So there's just, we've got, we've just got riders across all age groups as well. All, all different types of riders as well. Cause um, we've got the ground tour contenders in Richie Port. And then we've got younger climbers like the Hamilton guys we were talking about. And then you've got sprinters and you've got young sprinters like Caleb Ewan and it's just a plethora of talent at the moment. Good time to be involved in Australian cycling. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, I think that should wrap it up for the TDU. We'll move on now to the Santos Women's Tour where I talk with Kate Perry about what happened there. Okay, apologies. Um, Unfortunately, Kate Perry will not be joining us uh, due to scheduling issues. Instead, I'll give you a, an insight into the glamorous world of journalism. I'm currently sitting in my car recording this um, as there's a as there's a car alarm going off outside my hotel room and nobody's been able to shut it up for the past 30 minutes. So 
Instead, I'm sitting in my car, watching uh, drunken revelers pass, which who look like they're having a lot more fun than I am. In any case, um, I'll take you through the results of the Santos Women's Tour. Uh, unfortunately, it won't be the same discussion that we normally have about them, as there's nobody to discuss with in my here in my lonely state. In the Santos Women's Tour, it was an overall win for Katrin Garfoot of Orica Green Edge, with Shelley Olds of Silence and Lauren Kitchen of High Tech Products taking third. Um, that win was built with a win for Garford in the first stage when she went away with a five-person break in the finale, and they were all better sprinters than her, but despite that fact, she jumped them with about 600 metres to go and managed to surprise them all, took a quick gap, and then finished off strong on the uphill finish. Um, Long Kitchen tried to bridge cross, but she wasn't able to, and then uh, Olds took second, and King uh, swamped her, Swamp Kitchen just in the end for third. Uh, the th second stage was a 20.4 kilometre stage, which was pitifully short and only just beat the beat out the UCI minimum regulations. There was a crash in the last few laps there, which took out you know about half the field from contention in the stage. It didn't take out many of the overall contenders. I mean, Sophie Mackay would have been a good one for the stage, but and she was caught behind it. But there were quite a few lead-out riders um, affected by that, and I think Shelley Olds in particular was caught, her team was caught out in that crash. It ended up with Orica Greenedge splitting it up on the last lap, and they looked like they were going to take the win, but a superb lead out from Chloe Hosking uh, past Lizzie Williams in the final, and then Annette Hermanson, who was on her wheel, managed to take the win with Hosking hanging on for second, and Lizzie Williams finishing in third. The third stage was a very hard race over the circuit around Lindock. Uh, it split up multiple times um, as Orica decided to make the race very, very, very hard early on in the stages. Numerous groups went away, but eventually the s the main move of the day was made in the final lap, with all the riders who were in contention on the GC moving in a group, and Amanda Spratt went off the front and she held it off the front there. She rode a superb race, just kind of yo-yoing at the front and providing a rabbit for which all the other riders had to chase whilst um, Garfoot and Lizzie Williams got a s nice sit in behind. On the final time up the climb, they, they were just about caught her when Garfoot attacked again, and she couldn't quite get clear from all the other favourites who were chasing her down, but once they brought it back together... They sat on the wheels for a bit, and then eventually Lizzie Williams went away, and she she made the crucial move, which led to the win. It was a superb um, display of tactics by Orica in that one, because at no stage were any of their leaders doing any work on the front of the peloton, which is, you know, the textbook way to win a bike race. You keep your leaders uh, sitting pretty, and then they can expose themselves at the end and take the win. So, it was Lizzie Williams winning by 19 seconds, which wasn't enough to move her into the overall race lead, um, but Katrin Garfoot um, sprinted to second in in the sprint, which again showed that she had some very good sprinting legs, despite her despite her glibness at the end, saying, oh, I'm not a sprinter, I can't believe this is happening. She uh, did a very good job. Despite Garfoot's lead, it was still all up to play for in the final stage, with a number of riders still on the same time as her, including Shelley Olds and Lauren Kitchen, who were both regarded as phenomenal sprinters in the world in the world scene. And 
on the Criterium circuit around Victoria Park. It was still well up for grabs. In the end, it was Kimberly Wells who won the stage, coming around the outside to get the jump on Annette Edmondson, who showed that her sprinting form is still superb, coming off her track background. And she was she was second after her lead out. Chloe Hosking got a bit boxed in in the finale there. Uh, Katrin Garfoot did an, did another great ride for third, and with that, she cemented her win. Okay, I think we'll move on to the men's edition of the Cadell Evans race. Okay, and we're back with a look at Cadell Evans' Great Ocean Road race, which is a bit of a mouthful, and it doesn't really touch the Great Ocean Road for too long, but we'll go with the title anyway. It's it's certainly a picturesque ride around Geelong. Neil, you raced this race last year. How did you how did you find that course? Uh, look, last year was a it was a bit of a, a grey day. We had a bit of rain and we had some wind up, which was uh, look it made for some really good racing. I thought it was pretty sort of uh, yeah quite a quite a large group went, so it was fairly tense in the peloton. There were a lot of it wasn't sort of let get too far, um, but there was always wind around, so there was a lot of teams sort of stacked up right from the start of the day, and it was very sort of you know teams just sort of hovering about each other, just kind of anticipating uh, for when things really got hectic. Yep, as predicted, uh, when we made the, the big right-hand turn as we head, I think it was Barrable Road, we turned onto heading back into Geelong. It just absolutely was put in the gutter. Uh, Cannondale sort of hit it first and split the field to complete, like, in, you know, echelons, probably like three or four echelons. So it was... It was great racing, and that didn't sort of come together until we're on the circuits, and the circuits are uh, extremely hard as well. There's three climbs on the circuit. It's a pretty similar course to the 2000 and 2010, it was, the World Champs in Geelong? Yep. 10, was it? Yep, that was it, and uh, they, the course is amended slightly. It's a bit easier than that one. They they make a turn off one of the climbs before they reach the top, but, yeah, it's a very similar course. Um yeah, look, I wouldn't. I, I'm not sure. I'd say it's easier because they they chop that climb, the second climb from the world's course, a little short. But there's still a climb there, and then they go down and go up another one. So I don't know if it's actually any easier or not. Obviously, you didn't race in the worlds, but like, yeah, it's a solid. It's a solid finishing circuit that you do three times there. So I'm actually really interested to see how uh, Mark Cavendish goes uh, for Dimension Data. He's obviously coming down here for it. And I, I don't believe he's racing the Sun Tour as well. So he's coming down just for this event and perhaps some training. So he obviously feels like he can get around the circuit. And uh, having seen it last year, it was a pre-select group that ended up going to the line. So that's one thing I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. Um, maybe he's coming down because he thinks he can do well. Maybe he's coming down because he's got a bit of money for coming down. But um you know, it's it's the Chilambra Crescent climb. That's um, 1K at about 10%, isn't it? Which I'd, I'd say is a bit too hard for Cavendish. Um, I mean, maybe he's in an amazing form. We've seen him do um, surprisingly well in these sort of circuits in the past with um, British Nationals was last year. He was he was really up there in a very tough race. And I think we've seen him do well in world circuits where there have been some challenging climbs in the past. But I don't know, maybe this early in the season and he's been doing some track stuff. I, I'm not sure I quite see it, but you know, it'll be it'll be it'll be one of the stories of the race, regardless of how he goes. Absolutely, there'll be a fair bit of interest around that, which is good. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I was in the press room and they were talking up the Caleb Ewan Cavendish showdown for the first time. Um, Ewan himself wasn't too wasn't too keen to play that one up. He didn't think he could make it around the course, and he he wasn't entirely sure Cav could either. But um, well, look, they might be shut. The showdown may be happening just a little bit further down the field. Could be a, yeah, well, a bit of a sprint for fiftieth. Who knows? <laughs> Yeah, well, entirely possible, but it's it's uh, one of those sort of prospects that you want to see, I think, more than expect to see. But you know, who who, who knows? We'll be keeping our eye on it, regardless. Yeah, and well, that that will probably force the initial selection, I'd say, or I don't know if you'd agree or not. But then, it, once they get onto the circuit, I think I think that's more likely where the where the actual race is going to be won and lost. Um, I'm not. I'm not yeah. sure exactly when the break, when exactly a decisive move will be made. But we saw last year it was on Chalambra, and then, um, and then some people bridged across just, bef- just afterwards, I think. And that was Gianni Mearsman, who eventually went on to win the race with Cadell and Simon Clark, who filled out the podium. Yeah. Look, last year it was. Uh, yeah, it was pretty windy, and I think. I don't think. Yeah. In the end, it didn't really sort of have a, the all decisive sort of bearing on the race. But yeah, I sort of I didn't have a very good day at all last year, and I can't really comment too much about uh, what happened after the uh, after we got to the finishing circuits because that was about me done. So yeah, um, the circuits were definitely last year. That's where things were like it was split going into the circuits, but I heard it pretty much came together fairly soon afterwards, and then just yeah. Bit of a race of attrition around there. Speaking of excitement, um, who who do you think is going to be creating the excitement? Um, we've got Simon Gerrans, who's obviously in top form at the moment, and he should be he should appreciate the course. He's got to be the favourite going in. Yeah, look, I'd say so after TDU and yeah, seeing how impressive he was there, and the Green Edge teams obviously all travelling pretty well. So I reckon I'd agree with you there. I'd say Garrow would be my sort of favourite going in. Someone like. Uh, Jack Bobridge is going to be pretty good on this sort of circuit as well. He's obviously in flying form after his uh, national sort of campaign there and, you know, going pretty strong in TDU as well. So I think Bobridge will be, he'll be thereabouts, that's for sure. Yeah, there's yeah. Ben Swift as well. Um, there's there's a few others. Um, Alexei Testovich from Katusha, who's that, that kind of rugged rugged sprinter who can do the hard stuff as well. A couple of a couple of other names, but it's yeah, very hard to go past Gero. I mean, if, even yourself. I mean, this you know looks like a course that should suit you on paper. Yeah, look, I didn't get a great sort of feel for it last year because by the time I got to the circuits, as I was saying before, I was done. But look, I'd hopefully be able to sort of go okay on a course like this. But uh, I certainly wouldn't put myself up as one of the favourites. I've just seen in the star list as well from Trek. Uh, as an Italian, Niccolo Bonifazio, who was fifth in the Milan San Remo and has had some some really good race wins in in similar types of uh, stages or just one day races as well to this one here. So I think he'll be one to watch as well. It's anyone's guess how his form is, but uh, yeah, he's he's again one of those sort of rugged sprinters. I like that term, a rugged sprinter. Uh, well, yeah, it's copyright for me now, so be careful in your use of it. Um, yeah. No, no, Bonifacio, sure. He's he's another one of those young sprinters. I think he's twenty three now. But anyway, he's he's definitely one to watch. Um, who else do I have on my list? Lee Howard's around. He could do something. Enrico Bataglin, who does a good job on those sort of climby sprinty days. Oh yeah, Ronat Van Rensburg, who's 
He, he shows some useful form at the TDU. I wouldn't be surprised if he does something. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, it's a good opportunity for some of the local teams to show themselves as well. So if you've got teams like State of Matter, Dar 3, Cisco, and Lena Banty, of course, with you guys, and St. George NRS team are turning up. And um, as are Kenyan Riders and Attack 18 Gusto. So good luck for all of them. And hopefully they can show their colours, you know, in a break or an attack at some stage. Yeah, absolutely. Like this is by far, for all those Conti teams we've just mentioned, it's going to be our, our biggest race of the year. So, yeah, there'll be a lot of very motivated uh, motivated riders from, from all of those teams trying to sort of make some sort of mark on the race. So, yeah, look out for us. Yeah, and actually I'll throw in another smoky from there. I mean, Cam Bailey, I reckon he'll have a pretty pretty decent day on the on the bike. He's a he's a very versatile rider and I think he could do a good job. Yeah, this course certainly suits Cam. I've been on his team for a few years in the past and he, yeah, this is definitely a course that'd suit him. So, uh he had a bit of a bit of a disappointing uh, national champs. I know he was traveling pretty well before it and he was really hoping to sort of yeah, having a really good one there, and he was sort of hoping to get onto the UniSA team, uh, but unfortunately, he sort of had a bit of a bit of an average one there. So hopefully, Cam can uh, can have a good one. Yeah, well, he bounced back with a win at um, up Crafers Hill Summit time trial that they ran that they run down here down in Adelaide as part of the Super Series, and he beat the existing Strava record up there. So he's got he's going pretty well at the moment. Yeah. Yep. Okay, um, that should do it for the, for the men's. We'll move on to the women's now and an analysis with Kate Perry. Welcome back to the Car Bunker as I attempt to review the Cadell Evidence Road Race for Women sponsored by Deakin University by myself. So bear with me as I make a bit of a fool of myself. Um, the course you know, going to be covered in the men's race, so I'll, I'll I'll defer to that largely. But the difference is that it's a lot shorter. It's about 61 k shorter for the women at 113 kilometres, and there's only one lap of the final circuit. So they do the they do the whole loop around Barwon Heads and Torquay, which takes in a lot of the wind, but um, less of the hills of the final circuit. So that's probably the main difference there. I would say that would make it a course more for the sprinters like the hard sprinters than the attackers. But having said that, I mean, last year it was Nalen off the front winning solo, so who knows? I mean, we shall see when we get into it. Um, the main contenders, as I see, are Rachel Nalen, who is the defending champion from Orica Green Edge, and she's also got Amanda Spratt behind her, beside her, the Australian national champion. Lauren Kitchen, or Mitchin, as she is named on the on the start list, there's quite a few amusing typos or unamusing depending on your point of view and she'll be in the hogs breath um, team which is a composite team as far as i can determine and she should be a strong a strong chance of winning on this sort of course other main contenders you'd think wiggle high five would have a very strong chance of winning um with peter mullins danny king in the in that team after some strong performances so far in the summer of racing tiffany cromwell is racing for boss racing this time um she's doing a guest stint there and ruth corset is on the total rush team and you know they're all very strong chances for the win kate perry i mean we love her a lot but i don't know i mean after all this time um off the bike with her australian open commitments i'm not sure how her training's going and we didn't get the chance to talk to her before the race, unfortunately. So 
you know, we'll see how she goes and wish hope her, hope for the best for her. Okay, and now we'll have a look at the men's Herald Sun Tour. And welcome back to our analysis of the Herald Sun Tour and again with Neil Vanderplug. So it's a five-day stage, stage race starting off with a prologue, normally a pretty flat, fast one around around Federation Square there in Melbourne and it's right in the heart of Melbourne. So it's it's a it's a good way to start the race, I feel. I mean, it gets gets a lot of visibility and gets uh, riders' names out there. Yeah, look, I'm a little bit biased when it comes to that sort of a race. I, I love the prologues, but... Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a great way to uh, to start the the Sun Tour. Get you know, bring it to the people right in the centre of Melbourne. There, there's usually quite a few thousand people who come out to watch. Uh, they do it in the evening as well, so it's got fantastic atmosphere and it's it's kind of good. I like the uh, the sort of time trial sort of format. It has a just a bit of um, yeah, a bit of a different sort of uh, way it sort of rolls out. I suppose you sort of you know sitting there warming up and yeah, just slowly people coming in and, oh, yeah, such and such had a good race. They're now in the hot seat and, oh, yep, you see someone else go off and he bombs out and just sort of slowly unfolds throughout the evening. So that's a, that's one that I really look forward to. And if you're uh, if you're around the area and you can get down, I recommend it because it's, uh, it really is a, a great start to the, uh, to the Sun Tour, which is a pretty great, great week of racing. But that one's probably the... Yeah, one of the most sort of uh, exciting to watch. Yeah, well, I'll certainly be down there and watching along with everyone else. So come say good day. Would would certainly appreciate the appreciate the company. Um, yourself, Neil. I mean, you were eighth, I think, in twenty fourteen. Um, in that stage, prologue stage. How, how do how do you feel that you that you can go on that sort of course? Well, for the prologue, yeah, I think. Hopefully I can um, get sort of thereabouts. I think last year I was fifth um, and, and pretty close to the mark. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, it's a pretty technical sort of circuit if, if they haven't changed it from last year, which is which is pretty good. But, yeah, I, I'm hoping to try and uh, be up the pointy end again and maybe maybe get on the podium. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Certainly that's what everyone will be trying to do, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Anyway, anyway um, stage one is um, it's then a start and finish in Healesville, sort of sort of a bit north and a bit east of, of Melbourne, from what I remember. Anyway, and it'll, yep. and it'll be a 121-kilometre stage with one long loop and then a shorter, about 30k loop to finish off. And it, it doesn't look too tough, but... I don't know lumpy lumpy stages at the start of races can sometimes create um big big gaps. Look, it's a tough stage. We went and reconned that um, after finished nationals, and I can tell you, it is a tough day. There's a climb that finishes about twenty k before the finish, Myers Creek Road, I think it's called. And look, check it out on Strava or or wherever you sort of do your. Uh, do your reconnaissance online, but it's hard. It's it's around eight k long, I believe, and sort of five to six percent. So I reckon that's gonna be a really interesting stage. I'm uh yeah, I'm I'm yeah, I'm interested to see how it's gonna play out. It may be very fast and there may be a fairly small group that get to the top of that one. Uh so that could be a pretty decisive sort of culling of the uh the field. It might be a bit of a GC selection, but it's twenty K before the finish and it's a fairly gentle descent. So I think the group will sort of swell up to a certain degree. Um, there'll need to be sort of, you know, people riding it on the descent. But I think that'll be a, 
a very good start to the uh, start to the Sun Tour. Hopefully, we don't see the GC locked up by that stage because tradition, traditionally it's um, fought out on Arthur's seat later. But from what you sound, from what you said, there will at least be an and there will at least be an initial selection there of you know who can go for it at least. Yeah, definitely. And look, there could be some opportunities for people to uh, launch a bit of an attack. Um, yeah, it's probably not going to be won exclusively on that day unless a break goes. Um, and, we, and look, a break could stay away on a day like that potentially. So it could be a bit like, um, what was it, 2011, I think, when Nathan Haas ended up uh, taking it out from Bobridge. So look, we might have a, we might have another tour where it's sort of won from the, the day one break or yeah, it might be just a bit of a uh, bit of a preview for Arthur's seat, just seeing who's travelling well. Heading on into stage two, then it's a hundred and forty-four k's from Yarra Glen to Mo. Mowie, yeah, Mowie. Yeah, so well, that's could, that's how I've tell, heard it, Mowie. You can you can tell I'm not from around here. Yeah, so it's it's tough to tough terrain, but um, probably the crucial section is the one k climb with about seven k's to go there. Yeah, there's it's pretty um yeah pretty reasonable sort of climb for very close to the end so that is that's going to be a really good launch pad like absolutely guaranteed there'll be a few people having a red hot go uh on that uh on that final climb it's a bit of a loop just near Maui. i think you might actually go into the town and then go out for a loop and do that climb but there's also some other interesting things on that stage a little earlier on they go up a climb called vespers hill which is sort of in the foothills of Mount Borbor and Vespers Hill is, it's a pretty brutal climb. It's, I don't know what the average uh, gradient is. It's somewhere around sort of 8%. Definitely has pinches much steeper than that. And it's got a reasonable amount of length. It's something like 4K long. And again, the descent off after that, it's not, it's not a lot of rest. So if you sort of lose contact on Vespers and a team like Sky, if they sort of get over there with a few numbers and just ride it really hard, there's a bit of a, a bit of a descent, but it's, you know, it's it's not a you can't just tuck your way back onto the uh, the main field, and then there's another climb fairly shortly after that. So again, it could be one of these stages where there's quite a selection made. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna come down a lot to teams like Sky and and I guess the whole field and just how it races. But that could be another stage where um, we could see some really exciting racing and uh, could be quite a reduced group who actually get to that final final uh, loop near Maui and. Yeah, well, we saw last season, didn't we, where um, Green Edge um, decided to light it up over one of those early, early climbs in the race, and it was a to- it was a you know fragment of the peloton which went in at the end, and it was a Joe Cooper and Cameron Meyer went off the front, and yeah, you know, yep. managed to hold it off. So yeah, maybe, that's right. maybe something maybe something similar like that again. Yeah, potentially, it'll. Uh, I think they will be two very tough stages though. And stage three is from Taraugan to Inverloch. Did I get Inverloch right that time? Yeah, look, that you sound like a local there, Jamie. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so there's some early hills that day, but that probably looks more like the the most locked on bunch bunch sprint, I'd say, in the in the tour. Would you would you agree there? Look, compared to the other stages, absolutely. You've got Arthur's seat the next day, so that's certainly not one for the sprinters and uh, yeah, it, it may be uh, there may be quite a few sprint teams who sort of earmark that one, and say right, let's have a sprint, no more of this attacking style riding. Uh, but yeah, it's actually pretty open out there as well. So look, if there's wind, we might just get a bit of a triple treat there, and we uh, 
there may be no bunch sprint. It might just be chaos from uh, from stage one to four. Well, that would certainly make for some exciting viewing. And speaking of stage four, up Arthur's seat will be going up at three times on this occasion, and it's you know, very well-known climb is that final final stage of the Herald Sun Tour. I mean, it goes to three Ks. It's about eight percent, and and it's fairly consistent. I mean, people people know what to expect from it. Pretty brutal sort of finish to the tour, and uh, yeah, that, that'll be that'll be really interesting. Obviously, we've got Chris Froome coming down for the first time in quite a few years, and uh, look. I think that's what people are going to be pretty keen to see uh, on Arthur's seat. How's Froome going? And uh, will he just light it up and uh, open up the account for the season? Uh, and that'll be that'll be very exciting to see. Obviously, Sergio Hanau is is going very good from Sky as well. Yeah, and you'll have you know those young Hamiltons. They'll be kicking out there or kicking about, trying to uh, show their colours. So look, that's going to be a bit of a obviously a real day for the climbers. But you're going to see a lot of uh, you see a lot of aggressive riding, I think, on on that day, and yeah, there'll be there'll be heaps of very keen climbing Australians who are keen to make a mark there. So that's probably the uh, that's that's got to be the most anticipated stage with a with a uh, a climber like Froome uh, making his way down. So I think that'll be a great finale for the event. There's plenty of interest around Froome, but mostly from the cycling public. I'd love to see the mainstream media pick it up and, you know, it turned into a real real event where we can say, oh, the number one the, the number one cyclist in the world is out here, you know, get down and see him and, and really increase the exposure for cycling. So I, I don't think we've really felt that yet. I mean, I've got friends who, you know, aren't, aren't anything more than casual cycling fans and they don't know that Froome's coming out in the next week or so to cycling in Australia, so... I think we need a bit more publicity around that. More publicity is probably, uh, yeah, I, I, I would I would support that, Jamie. I think it'd be great. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose it's easy to say and harder necessarily to get people involved. But you think, you know, you think there's the story there. I mean, we've seen with like Tiger Woods and um, the Holly, even Holly Holm and Ronda Rousey coming out. That was that was a huge story, despite you know the relatively niche status of of mma as as a sport so anyway yeah. anyway who who, who most ex, most excited to see apart from Froome? i mean sky brought a very good team apart from him that as you said um Hanau, um garrett thomas ian stannard salvatore puccio and ian boswell i mean all all of them could technically win the race if they were on good form yeah look Froome's the obvious one there but apart from Froome, yeah it'll be probably uh yeah Look, it's probably hard to isolate anyone there. Um, yeah, I'm probably pretty keen to see how how uh, yeah the Avanti Iso Way Sports team will sort of fare. I know we've got some guys in some pretty good shape, so I'm sort of I'm sort of hoping to see. Yeah, I'm pretty keen to see how we can do and whether we can sort of mix it up with them. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not sure who your leader will be. I mean, Joe Cooper's back again, and uh, Pat Lane, or even Robbie Hucker those sort of names they they could all they could all do go do something and then you've got stage win opportunities with yourself and um anthony giacopo or aj and you know so there's plenty of plenty of firepower yeah. That's yeah there's definitely plenty on offer i know um robbie hucker he was yeah very impressive at nationals and sort of missed out for the uh uni sa selection he'll be very very motivated to have a good dig 
as you said, Hamilton boys, they'll be looking to show themselves. I'm kind of wondering why Chris didn't get selected for the Avanti squad and not the national team. I don't, you know, I'm not entirely sure how that works. But Well, uh, for the... For the uh, national team, you you can't be signed to. I think you can't be signed to maybe a Conti team who's doing the event. And I think Hamilton is 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 likely going to spend most of the year overseas racing with. Um, like he's probably going to be with the national team. Like he's gone so well early on. So uh, I think that's why he's sort of racing for racing for the national team is is not actually signed for the uh the continental sort of arm of of anti-iso way sports okay well one of those semantic guess writing situations then um yeah i think he's he's signed to the team but not the not the conti part of it not the uci ones uh yeah a bit complicated and i think unofficially Unofficially, we can say that probably lucas hamilton and alistair donahue will be joining him in the world tour academy but Nothing's been announced yet, so we probably shouldn't be saying, well, okay, well, I'll edit that out then. <laughs> oh, look, Lucas Hamilton's going to be in there. There's no question about that. He's, he's an absolute, uh, you know, that's a, he's a no-brainer there uh, in my eyes. Like he's, he and Chris Hamilton are probably the, yeah, the two standout riders from the, the national champs, which I think a lot of it is sort of based off. So, look, they'll both be there. And Alistair Donahue. He was uh, he's done some really good racing over the past. He had a really good worlds with the under twenty three squad. So yeah, I don't think you're really you know not spoiling too many secrets there. I think Jamie. Well, I think that about wraps it up from the Jaco Herald Sun tour. And um, if you want to catch it, you can watch it from the third to the seventh. I think there'll be highlights of the first few stages on Gem probably, and but the last stage will be will be covered live. But, of course, the best way is to go out and attend the race and say good day to us. We'll certainly be around. And, you know, just enjoy cycling out in the community. Absolutely. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook at Breakdown Podcast or you can find us on Twitter at Breakdown Pod or send us a question on hashtag AskBreakdown. Come visit our website, which is breakdownpodcast.weebly.com and you can find all the show note details and ways that you can get in touch with us there okay um i think they'll do us for today i hope you enjoy all the racing as much as we have and we'll speak to you later okay see ya goodbye